I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. It's D Mike B and this is Rebel Radio in full effect with a fuck you Josh. <laughs> you guys don't know how much work it is to put this show together every week. We love it, but it's a lot of work and so it's really nice when we get some love and support from our sponsors. We just started getting sponsors. The first one was Casper Mattresses. They're not only supporting the Rebel Radio Show, but they also make a very comfortable bed that will help you get a good night's sleep, which is important if you're trying to build a business, record an album, get your career, your life going. You need some sleep. So go get a Casper mattress. They're engineered for comfort to help you get a good night's sleep. They make sheets and pillows so you can uh, match your whole set. They deliver it free to your house. They give you 100 nights to test it out. They'll pick it up if you don't like it, but I think you will. And it's also been named one of the best inventions of 2015 by Time Magazine. So that right there, that and sponsoring Rebel Radio, that's two major accomplishments that they've come up with. And right now you can use our special code at casper.com. Use the code radio for $50 towards the purchase of your mattress. That's casper.com, code radio, for $50 off for fans of Rebel Radio. Casper.com, terms and conditions apply. Dance music has a way of making people who don't listen to it feel like it's an exclusive club that you can't get into. But the second you really start listening and see the people involved in it, it seems like a really welcoming community. I think that people really care about the music and are less concerned whether it's going to be their favorite artist headlining a festival. It's like, we're going to go out, we're going to have fun together, we're going to dance together, and that's just what we do. All right, that was Cassie with her favorite quote from today's guest, Ant LaRock, on Rebel Radio, brought to you by LegalZoom.com. To run a successful business, you need to make the most of your time and money. Good news, LegalZoom can help you save both during National Small Business Month. LegalZoom is a smart way to start your business. Right now, when you incorporate or form an LLC, you can also save money on some of the basics to get up and running like a three-month trial of QuickBooks Online and a domain name for a year through web.com, both at no charge. 
After your business is set up, LegalZoom can help with a lot more. Reviewing contracts or dealing with day-to-day -day legal hurdles takes time away from growing your business. That's what LegalZoom's business legal plan is for. You get legal advice for your business from independent attorneys licensed in 48 states. You also get access to NDAs, lease agreements, and more. And the best part is you won't get charged by the hour since LegalZoom isn't a law firm. Instead, you pay a low monthly fee. So save time and money starting and running your business during National Small Business Month at LegalZoom.com. Don't forget to enter Rebel in the referral box at checkout. LegalZoom.com. Today, my guest is Ant LaRock. I don't know if you heard of this kid, but he's dope house DJ on the rise. He's a protege of the great Todd Terry, one of the godfathers of New York house. And he's got some really good lessons for us, especially for a young kid in the game, uh, teaching us about the importance of disconnecting. He's got a really interesting theory about how he blocks out influences as opposed to letting them in so that he can stay focused on what he's trying to create. And he talks a lot about the pivot before he got to this point in his career. He, he explored a bunch of different musical styles. And I think there's going to be a lot here for you. So I hope you enjoy it. As always, don't forget to subscribe to Rebel Radio at iTunes. Leave us a comment or a review. And tune in to Dash Radio. You'll hear the Rebel Radio show Tuesdays at 10 o'clock on the Hot Button channel. Before we get into the interview, let's hear this week's EDM.com track of the week. Yeah, that was the track of the week from our friends over at EDM.com. That was Matt Lang with a track called Hyper Warp. Hope you like that. And now let's hear what Ant LaRock has to say. What else do I need in my life right now? Right. Coffee every once in a while. And, uh -huh. uh, that's it. It's yeah. good. It's really good. Honestly, like, um, I kind of realized I mean, the tracks. I mean, there's so many people doing this that if I wasn't, like, turning out tunes and, like, making yeah. tracks and being, like, at least somewhat prolific with it that... uh be another DJ guy running around the city trying to book gigs and for sure doing the same thing as everybody else yeah well I want to get into how it happened because it, it seems like it's a pretty interesting story but um so take us back you come you were you've always been into music you have you come from a musical background right I do um so what's the beginning man picking up a guitar at like you know listening to Zeppelin records okay. and being a being a young teenager like everybody else and it's like you get that first good zeppelin record or whatever whatever you get your hands on from your dad what was around. it what was the record um man i would say you know the zeppelin four yeah. it was like such a big one for everybody yeah. i think and then like dark side of the moon and um you know you pick that up and 
like you hear these textures and these guitars and these sounds, especially like with Pink Floyd, like mm -hmm. the synthesis on that. as a kid and it's like it's different enough from the stuff you like grew up and like kind of jammed down your throat as a kid yeah. so i remember getting those albums and being like how do you make this like right off the bat really what like what what how, how'd this happen like how and old I, yeah how old are you now uh like 13 14 at that uh -huh. point yeah. and then you pick up a guitar for the first time at least i did and i kind of knew it was like there goes the dreams of like being the firefighter or the architect <laughs> sure. i kind of knew right away i was like well i'm screwed this is what i'm going to be doing for a while yeah and uh in your bands and stuff yeah typical like suburban like get together with some buddies yeah i ended up being the last one of my friends to uh play guitar so okay i got stuck on bass and at first i kind of <laughs> <laughs> that old story and you know i kind of regretted it at first and um that ended up being probably one of the most helpful things to me because you know, learning the that the bass is such you know the middle ground between the percussion mm -hmm. and the rhythm elements, mm -hmm. and um, that really, especially for house music and like groove and you know being like a bass like pocket funk player like from yeah. the age of fourteen on was like really what put me here today. So nice, yeah, bands and bands and bands and I uh, another really lucky thing that happened to me. Probably in the mid-90s, uh, I'd always been like a computer geek my whole life. Uh, I started getting into recording like mm -hmm. pretty early on for for a lot of people to even be doing it at home if you didn't have a real studio. Sure, so yeah. That was like, that was a big jump for me too because my whole thing was it's like you're an artist and you paint or you draw right. or you're a writer, you have a tangible piece of work on paper. Yeah. Like as a musician, you could rehearse the song 30 times and you could play it and you could write something, but it's not there until you record it. Yeah. So I think I knew really early on, like the importance of being like, Hey, let's like kind of get this on tape. Like, yeah. let's make this like a thing, you know? Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, it, you know, I get it. Like, you know, kids have bands and they end up, you know, playing in their garages and, you know, some of them get to a club, you know, play a show or whatever but you know until kind of right around that time like the idea of getting a recording down it was just out of reach cause, yeah because it was too expensive too hard to you know, well yeah especially with get a into full a studio band. yeah i mean i remember the first trying the first time ever trying to record drums like what a nightmare you know so oh, like, yeah i imagine so yeah so like i think with bands you realize you kind of need that like bigger setup and it, it is daunting it's like yeah. how do we even like do this you know it's like that movie airheads you know you're trying to like scrap together your buddies and like make a recording and get it on tape and sure. then get it out to people you know it's yeah. like that was like i was being a kid for me that yeah. was and it, you learn a lot too through that process too yeah. i mean it is a lot easier now to get everything done at home even for bands mm -hmm. um especially for dance artists like myself but um 
yeah, you really like have to like pull together resources and get crafty and figure out ways to make it happen. Yeah. So years of doing that like really made it a lot simpler now to just sit in my house like a nerd with a bunch of keyboards and <laughs> sure. get yeah, tracks of finished. Of course. It's funny is that like I wasn't really a rock kid, but I but one of my earliest memories period of anything is that Hindenburg is just the cover. My dad had it. Oh, just the and first track. Put I was like there, two right? years old. I just remember seeing the picture. Yeah. I didn't even know what it sounded like <laughs> until much later. Yeah, that's iconic. Yeah. Um, we have predominantly hip hop background, right? Yeah, yeah. Although it's been a you know it's been a winding path for sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, so did the bands? Did like did did you go anywhere with the bands? No. Okay. Simple answer. No. Um, yeah, nothing on success level. Yeah. And thankfully for me in my life at the time, there was no level of success or monetary compensation <laughs> for that. Lord knows I probably wouldn't be here. But yeah. um, but yeah, just, I mean, like anything in life, the lessons learned and, you know, the things that I carried with me from that. Not to mention becoming a multi-instrumentalist mm -hmm. because of it. Mm -hmm. Because of, like, like I said, hearing those sounds so early on. And then wanting to recreate them well it worked with the same with every instrument it's like cool all right well how's the drummer doing this and how's the relationship between the bass and the drums you know like why is that so important so i wanted to play everything too you know kind of have that entire culmination of like what it takes to make music on like every different level not just the one guy in the band plus it was the bass player so you know kind of wanted like a little bit more recognition sure the typical story so yeah i, I definitely Face guys in the back yeah yeah <laughs> never getting the chick right but um no i always wanted to uh to really dive into every element of it to to learn yeah. it hey y'all uh, you know what's dope casper mattresses is supporting the rebel radio show they're our first sponsor and uh actually i heard from one of the homies who just bought a casper mattress he used the Rebel Radio code and saved $50 off his mattress, and he's very happy. I hope most of you, all of you, will take the opportunity to get a new mattress that gets you a good night's sleep. You can get matching sheets and pillows. You can get your whole, you can buy a whole bunch of sheets and use them as wallpaper and just have your whole bedroom Caspered out if you want to. For a great night's sleep, get a Casper mattress. Try it for 100 nights in your own home. There's free shipping and returns. If you don't like it, go to Casper.com. Use the code radio for $50 towards the purchase of your mattress. That's Casper.com code radio. Save $50 on the purchase of your mattress. Casper.com terms and conditions apply. So how did you sort of switch genres? Like it seems like um, classic rock and house music are like pretty yeah, far a apart on the spectrum. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, shortly after, you know, the love affair, I think that most suburban white kids have with classic rock. Um, what my father's real passions were, were bands like Tower of Power and a lot of the really big funk stuff from, nice. you know, mid to late 70s. And yeah. I think once I kind of grew and absorbed like the, uh, like, led zeppelin classic rock phase of my life that was like i heard that and i heard those horns and i heard especially being a bass player like rocco prestia from tower of power just like 
these amazing like pocket players and that mm. really was a catalyst to like throw me to like a whole other world so then from there it was george clinton p-funk um yeah all the parliament funkadelic was really big to me and was then, there a record that like had a had a moment for you um tracks um yeah i'm trying to think of anything i mean uh what's the tune we want the funk give up the funk Mm -hmm. it's been so long since i've even listened to it but just really hearing those like iconic yeah like parliament tunes i think it's give up the funk give up yeah Actually, what I think kind of made it a little bit more solidified in my head was getting Herbie Hancock's uh, Headhunters album and uh, yeah. hearing Paul Jackson, the bass player, and Mike Clark, the drummer, like what they were doing together, like as you know, the drum and bass ensemble was like mind blowing to me at the time. Never mind having Herbie Hancock on top of it, mm -hmm. but uh, mm -hmm. that was like that was actually where I started to kind of veer towards jazz and groove playing and pocket playing and stuff like that. And um, man, it just it, that that really changed me. And then um, you know, finding newer groups like Jamiroquai and Brand New Heavies and stuff that were kind of making that a contemporary sound. And then also too, like the other, the other whole side of me, my whole life, like I think the first tape that I ever had was Run DMC, Raising Hell, and I was like okay. seven years old. Yeah. So that's always been kind of like this other side of me that was like growing in parallel with this too. Wow. So when I was able to actually start putting together my uh, first productions, I went actually right towards the hip hop side of mm. things because uh, you know, I'd already had kind of the band stuff and was doing recordings with them, but to really sit down on my own and really explore it, it was definitely like, well, and then, you know, by the time 96 rolled around and DJ Shadows Introducing came out, mm -hmm. like stuff like that, like these really intense, like solo production pieces of these, like, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I mean, you had your Pete Rocks and you know by that time i mean i always like you know had a good understanding of who like rick rubin was mm -hmm. and like what 808s were yeah. and you know so like 96 97 getting a hold of like some really good hip-hop recordings and like i said dj shadow and stuff like that um definitely opened up another whole part of my brain too so as i was doing the rock stuff on one hand i definitely had this like very rooted in hip-hop like mm -hmm groove playing for me as well too so um yeah by the time i really got heavily steeped in it in the late 90s um and starting to move a little bit away from the band stuff um yeah like getting into the production stuff it was like you know the trip hoppy hip-hop mm -hmm. stuff mm -hmm. and um really learning the fundamentals of like like i said what drum machines are what sampling is um how did they take this thing from this record and turn it into a loop that you could listen to for two hours nonstop? Right. So I think that was like um, a big thing that really bridged the gap for me. And then by the late 90s, probably like 97, 98, it started getting into the dance music scene. Okay. And, and immediately there, it was like, it was, it was hard to ignore like the drum and bass thing and like, 
you know, the metalheads and Goldies, especially like mm -hmm. mid to late '90s. I mean, the first time you hit playing one of those records, like you you almost don't even know like what's hitting you in the face. Especially with back then. Yeah, especially back then. Yeah. That kind of pulled me into that like the rave culture pretty early on and then especially like um a lot of the funkier house stuff you know like the dj dan stuff mm -hmm. and uh but to me it was like it all kind of felt the same it's like here's guys that are sampling these same funk and right. groove records that i loved yeah you know for years before and then turning it into a dance house thing and I kind of almost didn't understand it and it was pretty good to be naive with it because mm -hmm. it was like it was just kind of the same feel and the same colors and the same groove to me yeah so i didn't really like overthink it um like i probably would with a lot of other genres and mm -hmm. it just always kind of like felt like home so by the end of the 90s like my love affair with house music was like it was like right there it was like there's really kind of no questioning it it's just like a thing well, that to me is what's so interesting about music and, and sampling, obviously, but, you know, even before sampling, right, is that two people could hear the same piece of music and be inspired in totally different ways. Yeah. You know? It's, uh, yeah, I mean, there's times where I'll listen to some Jay Dillow productions. It's so funny how everybody in the house world, I mean, he's, he's a master. Mm -hmm. I mean, the torch was passed to him, and I don't really see, I don't know, it's just phenomenal. But anyways, um, I'll have the records that he has and he has sampled right. that I'll actually don't even, like I didn't even know that he sampled off of and I'll put it on my record player and look, for, look through for some samples mm -hmm. and I'll hear a piece that he's taken and I'll be like, you know, I, how? Yeah. <laughs> it's like the, the genius of that. Yeah. And it, that's actually, you can look at sampling as being kind of like an easy way to like make music and take somebody else's work, but the art form that is sampling and making a record out of that is like it I, to me it takes just as much skill and just as much mm -hmm. practice and just as much like talent and ear as as picking up an instrument and playing yeah. that yeah absolutely so was this all you know you're talking about all these records like uh how are you discovering this stuff is it is it all record store or were you out clubbing like i don't know what the connecticut scene was like are we yeah. going into the city let's say null and void for okay the no there was there was actually a good dance music scene i think there was everywhere in the country at that yeah. time um i've always been really open to it i remember somebody asking me i was probably still in high school like how do you find these records mm -hmm. and it's just been like the people i've kept around me influences i've kept around me yeah. i mean i've always been the type of person that if i heard something that was really weird and random that i knew i liked and background of a tv show or in a movie like i would hunt and dig for it mm -hmm. and, and look for it as well as record shopping as well that's as pre-shazam yeah 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 <laughs> pre-shazam yeah when you had to uh like record it onto a cassette player and yeah, play it for, for sure. some three people that you know and see if they knew it um but no it's always just been kind of that openness to it yeah like you know things find you 
and I think I was lucky enough to be open enough to it and aware and like kind of have my eyes and my ears open to it that, mm -hmm. you know, um, I'd like to think I have good cultured friends. If any of you guys hear this, you're welcome. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, uh, you know, a lot of the people in my life, uh, shared the same taste and stuff as me too. So yeah, always constantly pulling from them. It was really important for me to know like the classic stuff, you mm -hmm. know, that have that good background in it because especially nowadays it's like, to hear a record and know like maybe the process that it took to record it or where they recorded it or what type of synthesizer or you know if somebody else is using a sample on a record like I like knowing that like the history yeah. I mean and with house music too it's like there's a really good emphasis on the history mm -hmm. which I think obviously is integral you know so we kind of stay true to a sound and mm -hmm you know, have this essence of like what real music is like everything. I mean, and you guys know the underground, it's like there's always been this emphasis on the underground to like stay true to your roots. Right. So, um, yeah, like just being really open to like the music around me everywhere and mm -hmm. just taking it in from all sources. Um, and so at what point did you realize that this was a career or did you like decide to, um, yesterday no <laughs> um i knew i wanted to do it for a career like i said early on yeah like from a young age so i knew it was a possibility okay when did it actually kind of come to fruition um at some point last year i remember i'd gotten um my first major label remix taken mm -hmm. uh got accepted and that was for Giorgio Moroder and Kylie Minogue. Yeah. And I was in Grand Central. I forget where I was coming from. I got the call that they took it. Like very nonchalant at the end of the phone call call. Like, oh yeah, they took your remix by the way. Nice. And I remember being like, oh cool, thanks. And then I hung up the phone, I'm standing there. I was like, oh, wait a minute. I think I'm a professional now. <laughs> So that was uh, nice. that was kind of the beginning of it. Yeah, and it was. A, I mean, I'm very grateful because that was like a nice, mm -hmm. nice first step into the world mm -hmm. of, uh, of being a producer DJ. And um, yeah, I think I always knew it was a career path. I think it actually after that moment, it took a little while for me to kind of like let it sink in and like figure out what my place would be. Yeah. I mean, because I was working right along, right up to that, you know. And but everything in my life has always been a means to an end to be able to create more music and like live the life of a musician and sit in my studio and sweatpants and play with keyboards all day every day. Did you have somebody helping you, like, in those early, like, you know, as you're growing up and and trying to be all about music in your life? Was there? Was, I mean, it sounds like your dad, like, his taste of music was influential. What about like as far as thinking about music as a career um yeah i did i definitely had some good mentors there's a gentleman who uh, lives in my area now uh, his name is ron zabraki and he was a big studio guy he is a big mm. studio guy all throughout you know 70s 80s 90s today and he um 
took me in uh, under his wing and you know showed me some really like fundamental things about studio recording. Mm -hmm. um, he was actually the first guy that I had met that like I could look at his life and be like, wow, you like actually do this like yeah. you have a studio and yeah. like you make productions and it was really inspiring um to like see that because i mean you hear about it and to witness it firsthand is like a whole different story sure like, walk into somebody's home and be like wow you have like the gear that like i look at in right. magazines it's yeah awesome that like makes it real right mm -hmm. yeah so um yeah he was gracious enough to uh you know, show me a lot of the ropes with it and just even have any like exposure and learn through osmosis with people like that was, mm -hmm. uh, was really big for me. And yeah. then, um, yeah, this past year, it's just been, I knew once that remix got accepted, um, not that I've ever been in like non hustle mode, but like I knew once that went through, I was like, wow, I can make this happen. And it was like, it made me want to work harder and I have been working harder. And so what does that push. mean? Like, you get that rush of energy. You're like, okay, now's now's my chance. What do you do? What's the next step? Uh, hit the studio. Hit the studio. I mean, for two years before that, I mean, I would fall asleep to like tutorials on Ableton mm -hmm. and like synthesis design every mm -hmm. night. Um, you know, and it's like you not really hit plateaus, but you like break through these walls, these creative walls, and these. Um, these walls that like kind of hinder your skills and like where you're at as far as like recording. I mean, because one thing we do is like, you know, as dance artists and producers, like kind of have to take care of everything ourselves right. or it's better if you take care of everything yourself, in my opinion. So, um, you know, everything from mastering, like I said, the synthesis design mm -hmm. to sampling to, you know, what drum machines make what sounds and what synths are making these type of sounds. Like I like was really interested in that always, but you know, knowing that I, I kind of had a foot in the door and was moving towards like where I wanted to be as an artist. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it like, it really put a fire under my butt to be like, okay, it's like, no more fooling around. Like, let's get at this. Nice. This is yeah. the opportunity. This is what I've been waiting <clears throat> for. And, um, yeah cool. and just knew i needed to work harder from there yeah. and i enjoy doing it too so it's like the labor of love really yeah. kind of makes this process a little easier yeah absolutely so okay before that though um you were you were making music and what i've read is you, you weren't putting anything out like you were kind of keeping it to yourself um yeah for the most part and then a track got to todd terry correct so uh, First yeah. of all, for anybody who doesn't know, can you give who's Todd Terry? Todd Terry is the uh, well, his nickname is Todd the God, and he is the uh, he's the father of what they call hip house. He uh, basically, you know, first wave guy who uh, really kind of culminated his own brand and style of house music out of New York in the '80s, and he. Um, He's a, he's a pioneer. I mean, he's well-respected. Probably the nicest guy. I mean, I say this to everybody that I know and that knows him. Literally the nicest guy I've ever met. And, um, yeah, he's just a pioneer of really making, like, a true blue, heavy, like, New York City, like, house sound. Mm -hmm. And um, that you feel in everything today. I mean, he had some freestyle stuff that he had done before the house music. Mm -hmm. and he always jokes that he kind of got into it as a joke. But, um 
he really was just like a true pioneer of house music. I mean, most people might know him from his Everything But The Girl remix, which yeah. is a huge, huge hit. Yeah. And um, I mean, he's just stood prolific from there. I mean, if there's a guy who could do it with house music, like I feel like it's effortless with him. He like just has it in him. Yeah. So um, you're right. I wasn't really putting anything out. I was just kind of making it, just making making demos and just making tracks that I thought was cool with really no intention for them. But I'd send them to the people I knew. I send them to um, some good friends of mine who I knew might actually like it. I'd send it to my sister. You know, be like, hey, do you think this is cool? Mm-hmm. And she. Uh, She'd always been telling me she had a good friend um, that worked in the industry and worked with house stuff. And, you know, I actually had a number of years where I just wasn't even making music. Like, just the guitar would sit in the corner. Like, yeah. the computer was not on. Keyboards were probably sold. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, so when I started getting back into it about four years ago, um, yeah, like I said, I would just be sending it out to the people I knew. and. My sister said, you know, would you mind if I send this over to my friend? This uh, sounds really good. And I was like, yeah, send it to whoever. I was just going to put it on SoundCloud and mm-hmm. hope 15 people would listen. Yeah. So she sent it over to uh, her good friend, Mary Beth, and uh, who's currently, you know, the, the, the like driving force of my life as far as music. She's been uh, you know, taking care of all the managerial duties for me, which is amazing. And she... Yeah. Um, she she got a hold of me. She said, I really like this. you mind if I send it to some people? And again, I was like, sure, it would just be on SoundCloud, getting mm-hmm. 15, 20 listens, so absolutely. And then she got back to me pretty quickly after that, saying that Todd wanted to pick it up and put it on his uh, in-house records label. Nice. What, what track was that? Uh, it was called All I Need. Okay. All I Need. It's kind of funny. I had some vocals sitting around from a good friend of mine, Kiana, that had been there since, like, 2007 mm-hmm. showing the gap of yeah. <laughs> when i last recorded to when i started oh, again wow. and um yeah i was just kind of working with those and just you know what the nice thing is i was just making what i wanted to make mm-hmm. and like what i felt um same thing with the last release i did with nervous records like i kind of was just in a space where i didn't have anything tying me to doing any specific style like right. i would with a remix or anything so yeah. with all i need it was basically me at home with no expectations saying this sounds cool i like mm-hmm. this this makes me want to dance hopefully girls will dance let's uh let's put it together
that's basically what happened. And uh, Mary Beth got over to Todd. Todd got old me, and yeah, hence my uh, beginning of my relationship with uh, Todd and in-house records. Yeah, I actually didn't even, I couldn't even grasp the levity of uh, what that would be like in my life at that point. I mean, knowing who Todd was, it wasn't like I was ungrateful or. Mm-hmm. I didn't get who he was or what his scope was as an artist, but like realizing how pivotal a moment that was for me is like, it's kind of gives me goosebumps still to this day. So did you realize that in the moment or like, I did take a while to set in. I mean, it took a while to set in. I mean, the farther I get now, the more crucial I realize it is Mm -hmm. and uh, how much of a, like a, a, like a defining moment it was for me. Um, I was, yeah, obviously grateful and appreciative at the time. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, like I said, I don't think I realized the full scope of... Uh, so tell me about what's Todd like to work with and, and what are you learning from him? Pretty much everything I'm learning from <laughs> him. Well, I mean, he's just a really good power of example on a lot of fronts. Um, his production is always on point. And, um, I mean, there's there's times we did a collaboration together called Back Around... Um, and I remember getting it back from him and hearing just how we just did drum programming, you know, the same thing I was saying with like finding samples and like how Jay Dilla would have an ear to pick out the certain part and to chop it in a certain way. Todd like has that gifts with like drum machines, you know, mm-hmm. got the same gear sitting on my desk that he does mm-hmm. and to hear the way he like approaches it and goes at it. It's like, it's so solid. It's just kind of one of those things where it can't really miss, you know, the guy like he knows what he's doing. Um, yeah. And besides that, like, he was the first person I really met in the industry, you know, that has a name. And like I said earlier, couldn't be any nicer of a person. Mm-hmm. I remember after meeting him the first time, I said to uh, to Mary Beth, um, I was like, if everybody is as nice as him, this is going to be a cakewalk. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah. Maybe um, they're not. Was that? Maybe they're not. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. People like Todd and, and the rest of the people that uh, work under the X Mix umbrella are such legends. Um, you know, it's nice to kind of have my name a little bit next to uh, some of these artists, especially Todd. Um, yeah. But I mean, these are the guys that have been doing it, and not even, you know. And it's also on a business side of. I want a career like they have too. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in this because I love this and I want to do this every day. And I think uh, dance music at times gets a little bit superfluous where people could be in and out and yeah. not really have a long withstanding, you know, lifespan doing this. And sure. this, like, like I said, I've known since 14 this is what I want to do. So, um, yeah, to see guys like Todd be able to do it and continue to do it and still have the bookings and still have like the draw for people mm-hmm. and still have labels asking him for things and still be putting out his tracks as good as he is. It's like, that's really inspiring to me too. Yeah. Like I don't want to do this for a couple of years and then move on and do something else. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Talk about the, you know, house music, the, the stuff you guys are making, um, you know, versus what we think of as EDM, which I think is a, is like the sound changes so quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, every year there's a new EDM means something different, yeah. right? Yeah, totally. Um, and you know, whereas the the kind of house that you guys are making is 
you know, we can listen to a record from 20 years ago and a record that's new and hear probably more similarity than differences. Yeah, and you can spin one into the other and not have it feel like there's a 20-year gap in between two. Right, yeah. Um, I mean, I think my musical background, the stuff we were talking about earlier, may put me in a different place like as a producer um rather than you know and i'm not trying to look negatively on anybody and what anybody's influences are we all have different lives but mm -hmm. i think having a pretty well-versed background in music and not only like hip-hop stuff but in in rock just knowing music in general um i think puts me in a really good spot that um and I think that's what Todd recognized early on that, you know, I'm making a sound that might, I don't want to, I'm still trying to, maybe he realized that like I'm making music that has a little transcendence and that will last a little bit mm -hmm. and being a little bit uh, flashier. And like you said, whatever's cool in the EDM umbrella for the year, you know, cause you, like you said, you see it with a lot of different subgenres. you know, it could have been Electro House last year. It could yeah. be, and then it was Deep House, and now it seems like it's kind of moving towards techno as mm -hmm. being kind of like whatever is the, like the most popular under that EDM umbrella. Um, I like making music that lasts, you know, and that have like a feel. Like I remember watching these production tutorials early on and people talking about like vibe. And they're like, it was a lot less about sound and it was a lot more about vibe and like what it makes you feel. Mm -hmm. So I th like to think that when I sit down and approach something, it's more about feel. I mean, I've been doing it for so long at this point that I don't know if I could ignore that. Right. But I do try to go for like a feel, like a, a thing, like a tangible, like make you feel something feel. And hopefully that like transcends past like whatever current trends are going on you know because i go back and listen to something from todd or like armand van helden from like you know which isn't really long in the grand scheme of things but you know 20 years ago and it's uh, long in, in in popular music yeah exactly yeah. yeah go back 20 years and we're talking god like in sync or something it's like <laughs> i mean those probably still good records you know but um yeah, the, like I said, it's like it's amazing to be able to create something today that I could spin into something that was made 20, 25 years ago and not yeah. like miss a beat. Yeah. So uh, how does that, um, obviously there's a pretty big generation gap, Co probably a couple generations <laughs> between you and Todd or, or Armand as well. Um, how do you think your, you know, how does that play out in the music, right? Can you think you can hear those? those differences in the records I can I can it's um but it's important to me to even know like how things were recorded back yeah. then um I mean it's uh obviously I can't go back and like live through another time and sure. see somebody else's experiences but um when I find the sound and like the feel of a record that I like it's like important to me to know like oh we sampled that on an ASR 10 or that was an SP 1200 or mm -hmm. you know that was an original 909 I uh kind of like a historian when it comes to that like it, that's been really important to me to know how to capture those sounds so um 
there's yeah I, it's I feel like sometimes like I'm trying to move backwards and trace things back and a lot of people might be looking to like how to push things forward yeah. I mean and I have that big part of me too so I think maybe with Todd and myself I mean in the technology and like what the gear is will always kind of unite all of us mm -hmm. you know there is a sound to this music I mean it's not like I'm gonna pick up an accordion and make a house tune you know I'm gonna go right to a 909 and right you know an SH-101 if I want to yeah make a certain sound um so yeah i think uh you know the technology and what we use to make this and uh really kind of unites us between generations and also too it's like kind of we it's easy to lose sight of because it is such an art form we're kind of here to make people dance mm -hmm. you know and yeah. if we're not going to be doing that then uh like kind of why make the record you know i had a, i had a long period of time too where i was like maybe over intellectualizing what this uh, art form is and kind of losing track of like oh this is for people to go out to a club and dance on the weekend you yeah know? Um, how's, how's the crowd different i mean you know again when we think of edm you know we you know I, you know i went to a dead mouse show and it's like you know a bunch of 14 year old girls <laughs> in bikinis it was a pretty messed up yeah situation but uh whatever uncomfortable yeah for <laughs> sure but you know it's definitely considered you know the perception that is it's it's music for for teenagers right yeah um what's the crowd like at a at the rock show or a todd terry show um it's fun like i think the uh the difference between like what you know to anybody who doesn't listen to electronic music they're gonna hear a four on the floor beat and be like cool yeah it's like techno or whatever they want right. to call it or yeah. edm yeah. um I think the guys like us, like especially the house that we try to make, is like it's like church. Mm -hmm. Like this is like what we live, is what we believe in. Um, so tell me about the crowd. Who am I going to see at, at one of your shows? Uh, you, you're intellectual hipsters from the age thirty on. Um, okay. No, I don't know. It's uh, it's kind of anybody who uh, like I think has that appreciation for music. You yeah. know, uh, it seems to be. I think that's what I was always really drawn to about house. It seemed to have like a really cultured, mature mm -hmm. vibe in audience and like uh, the people making it all seemed to like kind of know something, you know, and it didn't seem like a club. I mean, dance music, I think sometimes has a, a way of making people who don't listen to it feel like it's like an exclusive club that you can't get into. Mm. But, um, the second you really start listening to the music and seeing the people involved in it, it seems like a really welcoming community. So yeah, I would uh, I would definitely say it's a little bit more of a mature sound, you know? Not that it isn't fun, but I think uh, people really care about the music a lot. Mm -hmm. And they kind of less concerned whether it's gonna be like their favorite artist uh, headlining a, uh, a festival over the summer. Right. It's like, we're gonna go out and we're gonna have fun together and we're gonna dance together. and Yeah. Like, this is what we do, and, um, yeah, there's more. I think there's a lot more emphasis on the art and, and the fun and the feeling of it and, mm -hmm. like, enjoying yourself and life compared to uh, what might be the trend. Yeah, I think it's interesting, and, you know, we we had Marcus Wyatt on the show who's, you know, holds it down on the West Coast. Um, and, you know, I, I think of, you know, his thing at, at Deep, and it's like you'll get people – that have been fans and going to deep for 10 years, 20 years mm -hmm. to the same nights. You know <laughs> what I mean? And I think um, that is really different, not to pick on, you know, the EDM guys, but I think that is really different where 
you know, my perception of EDM, it's, it's a lot like hip hop or mainstream hip hop in that yeah. you kind of have your phase and then you kind of graduate out of that, you know, <laughs> like all my buddies that I grew up with listen to hip hop, like they, yeah. have, they have jobs and they, they're not, that, that's not what they listen to anymore. Yeah. You yeah. know, <laughs> and see him driving to work, listen to 50. Yeah. I mean, it just doesn't, you know, you got the kids in the back yeah. and <laughs> I got one homie, I'm, I'm not going to call him out, but his <laughs> wife made him like get rid of his, his rap CD collection oh, man. when they had kids. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> you know, but, but I think that's kind of like, I think you're, there's an age limit on a Skrillex fan. Again, no, you know, that's not necessarily a, a reflection on him. Yeah. Uh, absolutely but but i think that's very different in in the music that you guys are making in that that community that culture is much more timeless it's much like so it's less susceptible to these trends yeah it uh but so talk to me about how you do that though because as we're talking about earlier like your music is a reflection of stuff you hear Right, like, had you not grown up listening to Pink Floyd, yeah, definitely. that then led you to the next thing and the next thing, you wouldn't be where you are now making this music. You might be making some different, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. And so, you know, how do you? It, it almost sounds like the job of a of a house producer is like to tune that stuff out, <laughs> like, and to not be influenced by it. Yeah, um, like I said, I I might have had a different outlook on like what I wanted to do with this uh, as far as making music and like where I wanted to take this and where I am taking this but uh, again I think it's um, knowing the history and mm -hmm. knowing you know I mean there's obviously going to be records that always play and for, as, as a DJ I mean there's going to be tunes that like you're going to throw on that are always going to work what's, what's one? Oh man what's, what saves you on the floor? Uh, I mean, I brought some vinyl to New York a couple weeks ago, and I have uh, Earth People, Pal Joey's uh, Earth People's Dance, and it's just like such a funky, disco-y, like, yeah. just floor stomper that always works. Um, but, like, you know, knowing tunes like that, and, you know, a lot of, mo every time I throw on Witch Doctor, it gets, like, half scares people half gets you know people really pumped up of course yeah and uh so it's like knowing tunes like that and like that they work mm -hmm. and that people have loved them for so long um like kind of having like you know you try to embody that a little bit mm -hmm. and like i said not only knowing that like knowing the sound knowing like what the korg m1 piano is like uh these classic like presets uh definitely enables me to trying to make a little bit more of a timeless sound and mm -hmm. really kind of put it like right there. I mean, because I, there was a really good quote uh, by the producer Aeroplane. He's like, every time I sit down in the studio, I try to make a song that sounds like uh, Daft Punk's Face to Face. kind of not a bad place to come from yeah. you know and it's like if i sit down with the intention of trying to make something that will persevere a little bit through time and not be like you know superfluous um i think i'm in a really good position but yeah i think it's uh knowing the history you know not only on like the uh what works in the dance like on the dance floor end but 
you know, like I said, what would they use to make this? You mm-hmm. know, I still yeah. do it. I still do it. I was listening to some drum and bass stuff the other day. It's like, how did they make those strings? <laughs> you know, how did like how did Goldie do that? Yeah, and I remember like searching around the internet for like four hours till I realized he just sampled some strings off a of Blade Runner. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to ruin your secrets. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, but yeah, I think you know it's interesting. To, you you think about these influences, and sometimes the job is keeping influences out. I heard a uh, I saw an interview with Bill Maher the other day, and he was talking about how he doesn't watch The Daily Show or John <laughs> Oliver. Makes and, sense. And he says because he's worried that like it's going to influence his writing, right? And he, you know, if he tells the same joke, he wants it to be by accident, not because yeah. You know, yeah, he saw something that that made him change than what he's doing. Yeah, having your own independent good idea that someone else shared rather than right piggyback on somebody. Well, that brings up a good point because if I get something in for a remix, um, you know, I obviously want to represent the the original song to the best of my ability. Yeah, do a dance version, also have it be partly my own. Um, I can't ever listen to another remix of of the right. song. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, and I really don't spend a terribly large amount of time listening to the original because uh, that definitely permeates in yeah. and kind of and kind of gets to you. And sure, um, I will do. There, there'll be songs, and this happens more often than not. I'll get something that I really fall in love with, like one track, one record, and I'll get it. I have a really good friend uh, and we always joke like he'll send me these songs and I fall in love with them instantly I'd be like well you just screwed up my production for the next (laughs) month because I find like everything I want to make sounds like that yeah for sure and uh, yeah I get what you're saying like it's kind of like you got to put the blinders on a little bit you know and there's also times too where like I haven't gotten to a certain place with like maybe something like production you know so if I'm going to go ahead and listen to a tune that like really blows my mind um, I might not necessarily be there yet or right. have my head wrapped around it and you know rather than sit like in my studio for two weeks trying to like make a kick drum that sounds like another kick drum mm-hmm. it's definitely better to like just tune out a little bit and just let what I have inside of me come out like yeah it's a process man it's like it's always exploring I mean I, that's why I love doing it and I could spend so much time doing it but like yeah you just gotta get in there and do it and kind of tune the rest of the world out you guys don't know how much work it is to put this show together every week we love it but it's a lot of work and so it's really nice when we get some love and support from our sponsors we just started getting sponsors the first one was casper mattresses they're not only supporting the rebel radio show but they also make a very comfortable bed that will help you get a good night's sleep which is important if you're trying to build a business record an album get your career, your life going. You need some sleep. So go get a Casper mattress. They're engineered for comfort to help you get a good night's sleep. They make sheets and pillows so you can uh, match your whole set. They deliver it free to your house. They give you 100 nights to test it out. They'll pick it up if you don't like it, but I think you will. And it's also been named one of the best inventions of 2015 by Time Magazine. So that right there, that and sponsoring Rebel Radio, that's two major accomplishments that they've come up with. And right now you can use our special code at Casper.com. Use the code radio for $50 towards the purchase of your mattress. That's Casper.com, 
code radio for $50 off for fans of Rebel Radio. Casper.com, terms and conditions apply. So when you, you, uh, you know, you talked about a lot of years just making music. No, probably not no expectation, but, but you know, relatively low expectation <laughs> compared to a label's sending you parts for a remix and there's a check, you know, waiting, right? Yeah. Um, so, so how does that change your process? Is it different making music for hire or with with an expectation or even knowing that there's a fan base waiting to it, hear it? Yeah, it, de it definitely changes the process. Um, some parts for the better. Uh, I can't even say for the worse, but, uh, it, well, it's motivating. Yeah. That's for sure. I mean, yeah. to know that can't just wake up drink three coffees and then like go into the studio at my own leisure like i gotta like kind of focus on this like it's a regular job yeah <laughs> yeah um but it's good like i like i like the work i like working hard and i like uh like getting in there and really focusing um there was just a lot of little factors i think i was unaware of from the beginning you know and that was like i said earlier representing the original song <laughs> keeping some integrity of that um, realizing that people are coming to me because they want dance remixes. Mm -hmm. It's not like I'm going to, or a house remix especially. Um, you know, it's not like I can go in and make like a 15-minute ambient right. <laughs> sure. vocal track over a, a weird synth. Um, so there's that. Um, and then also, too, like what's going to work? Um, I mean, obviously I'm going to stay true to myself, but um, I want to make sure that I'm going to be handing something back and handing my homework back in mm -hmm. uh, that's somewhat on task, you know, like, yeah. um, really, I mean, I, I try to approach everything just to nail it a hundred percent. And that's mm -hmm. been, that's been the game plan from day one, like take every opportunity that I have, um, and just try to kill it. Mm -hmm. Just like, you know, uh, my manager, Mary Beth always says we need that like big, uh, Tori Amos Armand moment where uh, Armand Van Helden did the uh, Tori Amos' Professional Widow, and, like, I can only imagine what that record label thought when he handed this monster back in. Mm -hmm. I mean, probably everybody played that record. Like, mm -hmm. everybody. It was mm -hmm. huge. It was, like, genre-defining, like, just an amazing track, or, like, tied with everything about the girl, you know, where it just yeah. really stuck. Is that going to happen again? Like, you know, was that an era for house music where we're having these big tracks, big remixes? Good question. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we're kind of there, you know. Um, there is a lot more house music and remixes being made these days. Yeah. Um, 
because of the available technology and people being able to do it a lot easier uh, nowadays. Um, I think so. I think so. Um, I mean, the quality of tracks are definitely there. Yeah. And some of the remixes I hear yeah. are definitely there. Maybe not like, uh, I don't know, it's hard to say because you had these big pop stars and these big acts getting these remixes done, um, you know, to help the sales of the single. And then all of a sudden they grew their own legs and took off, right. which is phenomenal. I mean, yeah. it, it's happened. I can't think of any examples. And I mean, we're in a really good spot too. I mean, one thing I, I was trying to be aware of, like really getting back into this, like there is the waves, mm -hmm. you know, there is yeah. the doldrums, like, it is really rad now and it's really cool now and uh you know it might fall down a little bit and the scene might dwindle out a little bit but i mean i'm okay with that like i love doing it too yeah and you know what we could uh we could talk about you know stuff like edm or skrillex or dubstep and how it might not like have a classic like you know historic sound to it um but it did bring dance music back in the homes and no to people and to another generation of people big time yeah. and i think that the people who really did you know that do love it like were able to kind of absorb what was going on that might have been a little bit more popular and more of a trend and kind of dig a little deeper like you know mm -hmm. guys like you and i always have and find like good stuff i mean mm -hmm. it's kind of how i ended up back here doing it again myself you know nice yeah so and and uh you know, I think in, in house music and, and probably dance music, you're sort of expected if you're a producer, you're, you're also a DJ. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you didn't start out as a DJ. Uh, I picked it up pretty early on. But oh, you did? Yeah. I mean, late 90s. Okay. Uh, 98, 97, 99. Was, yeah. was very into it. and um, But yeah, no, there was a lot of years where, where I, didn't, well, I didn't do anything, actually, so definitely wasn't DJing right and um so it's interesting yeah they, it's they, it's definitely expected like, yeah people assume that right away like oh okay you're a DJ cool you make tracks cool and right vice versa sure and and it's probably I mean that's part of the business right that's how you make probably a lot of your income comes from DJing because people know the tracks and then they want to hire you yeah and a lot of DJ. the thrill too right you know yeah. otherwise again it'd be me in sweatpants with synthesizers right it's nice to get forced out of the house every once in a while <laughs> so it's interesting like they're you know they're different skills but yet they always seem to go together or, hand or hand. that's sort of how the business has worked out is that they go hand in hand yeah um do you have a preference no no they um they equally represent like both creative sides of me and and do they how does one help you with the other Getting back out there and starting to DJ again um, really helped production. It's like I remembered, you know, to somebody who doesn't DJ or make records, if you listen to, like, your standard original mix of a dance track, you're like, why is there a minute and a half of basically just drums in the beginning of the track? Because right. you're used to a pop format yeah. where it's like you might have... 15 seconds before the vocals come in right and verse chorus verse chorus like with you know you listen to an original mix of a song and sometimes you get you know with a techno track you get two two and a half three minutes even of a of an intro of a track um so getting back into djing and 
really feeling that and feeling like why records work together and why the format kind of is the way the format is uh, really strengthened my production up again because, uh, you know, the, like I said, the stuff we listen to, um, even like the indie indie rock stuff, like the indie electronica that I was into for so many years uh, in between doing a lot of the electronic stuff, um, you know, it's still essentially pop arrangements mm -hmm. so getting back and djing it was like oh you know i see why there's a minute and a half intro on the track and mm -hmm. why there's another minute and a half two minutes tacked on on the end so i could actually make these like records work together uh -huh. so that really helped and then also too um like what makes people dance you know uh yeah. am i staggering am i am i putting too much swing on my hi-hats am i staggering my kicks a little too weird mm. um is that synth way too i don't know uh annoying or like uh abrasive to the ear it's just stuff like that yeah. um definitely like when you have that moment when you're out playing a record in front of somebody and it like really crystallizes like what's working what's not working mm -hmm. um i mean you could sit home and try to picture it and pontificate over it all you want but until you actually see people's like reaction to it yeah uh it makes a lot of sense and they definitely you know there's a reason why they feed off each other and they go into djing and the production go hand in hand it's like kind of uh i mean i could sit at home and i can make tracks and think they're cool and then give them to other people and like let them go out and do it but um I mean, I want to perform out to people. Yeah. You know? I've always had the performance side of me, so getting back and doing it has been it's been so much fun. Mm -hmm. I love doing it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a rush and it's a thrill. Sure. Big time. What's different about DJing than when you were in a band on stage performing? Uh, no safety net. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, your technology is the safety net, yeah. but um, yeah, when you have three other guys, you know, you could be a little loose with things. Yeah. And when you're the DJ, um, yeah, you're the one responsible to keep it going. Mm -hmm. I mean, and now more so than ever, it's not like we're sitting there with, a, at least myself most of the time, it's not like we're sitting there with a giant crate of records and two 1200s and right. hoping the technology holds up and your needles sure. are good and stuff like that. Yeah. Like it's with the, you know, CDJ setup. Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty good technological safe net. But uh, yeah, being in bands... You got you got three four other guys. You know you can miss a note. You can mm -hmm. miss a beat. Mm -hmm. If uh, if you if you scrub in a, a track and you're off, I mean that's all on you, man. All eyes on you. Yeah. Not to mention you know, like people are out to dance. People are out to like enjoy themselves. And I think a lot of people, especially with the popularity of DJing nowadays, like know when you're not mixing in, you know, on the right beat or yeah, phrasing's off or you're not beat matched correctly. Like yeah. You're you're the party, you know. Sure. Like you got to keep that moving smoothly. Yeah. And I enjoy it. It keeps me on my toes too. Mm -hmm. Big time. Yeah, I love it. It's a good rush. Nice. Visioning in my head for everybody who can't see me staring off into the distance. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. So let's talk about business a little bit. Are you? Um, do you think about yourself as a brand? Is it, or do you, do you like talk about that with your team? Um. Or do you think about how to build kind of your brand? Definitely, yeah, definitely how to build the brand and the name. And that's been something that I think I had a, a decent focus on from the beginning. Yeah. I never really wanted to put the cart before the horse. 
I see a lot of people spending a myriad of time on creating a cool logo mm -hmm. and taking good press shots, mm -hmm. getting the outfit together and like having a look and having this image created. And then you, you know, you might be on Instagram looking at this and seeing them on a beach in a tank top and in like the one club that they played in. And this is, this isn't directed at anybody, but I think just, you know example. who you are. Yeah. <laughs> that guy. You just lost me like 50 Instagram followers. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's like, there was this emphasis on image and, um, I'll go click on their SoundCloud page, like, cool, this guy looks like he knows what he's doing, and there'll be, like, one mix from, like, two years ago right. and, like, no tracks. Yeah. So for me, uh, I was like, cool, like, my recording setup is my weapon. Like, yeah. let me use that as, like, my tool to, like, work at this and get yeah. further. I mean, I'm interested in all the other stuff, too, just as sure. anybody else is, but mm -hmm. um, my emphasis has always been on, like, let's get some great recordings done. Like, let me have a thing. Like I said earlier, it's like you paint, you have paintings. You yeah. write, you have a book. Like, you're a producer, DJ, you have tracks. So, so I, I you know, I can see that uh, from the fact that, you know, you have a pretty good catalog Getting up there. online. Thank you. Um, uh, but you don't have a ton of followers. You're not, like, super active in social media. Um, getting there <laughs> okay getting there so yeah. yeah I don't I guess I'm asking is that like the you know how much is that intentional because um, there's plenty of guys you know yeah at your level whatever that means who like have you know five times as many Facebook fans yeah totally and um, then there's debate of whether it helps them or not yeah no you're right um I mean we're at a point where you know, social media is so vast and it ends up being your business card. Right. If you own the club and my name came across your desk, you would basically go right to Facebook and yeah. see what I was working with. Yeah. Um, so, and does that come up? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, not that I haven't wanted to push and hustle for that, mm -hmm. but I'm trying to, I'm kind of in the school of thought, like I'm trying to earn the fans mm -hmm. and like keep them there. Yeah. And I see a lot of people who will buy some likes. Yeah, you can trick the system. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But then also, too, it kind of bites you in the butt at the end because if uh, you put up a post and you really want people to see it and that you have a track out or you have a remix or you're doing a gig somewhere and three people like it, yet you have like 5,000 <laughs> Facebook right. likes, yeah. um, it ends up, I feel like, kind of hurting you, you know? Like, so me and guess i'm trying to like earn fans the old-fashioned way mm -hmm. and keep them around and like hopefully that they are captivated yeah. and they do find out who i am and, and the, you know they like my music and, and where where is that coming from is that is that your plan is that todd um, is that mary beth like actually the gentleman i mentioned earlier my friend ron um he told me early on he was like there's two ways of doing this yeah you can get you can do what's happening right now and you can get popular real fast and yeah. have a short lifespan in the, in the music industry and then hope maybe you'll get a you know behind the scenes job if you're lucky or you could like really earn fans and you could like earn people and listeners and 
they'll be loyal to you for the rest of the time you do it. Todd's a really good example of that. Mm -hmm. You know, he has like real fans. He's got sure. people that listen, that come to his shows, whatever cities and, and um, I don't know, maybe it's my Italian work ethic too. <laughs> but no, I mean, I feel like there's a right way and a wrong thing, wrong way to do things. And, yeah. um, you know, like I'm, I'm in this, like, I love this, like anything that'll afford me the pleasure of being able to do this for, for a job for mm -hmm. as long as I can, like, I'd rather do, I'd rather take the slow approach to it and make sure we're doing it right. You know, yeah. that I wouldn't take overnight success, but I think also too, that might diminish you as an artist and mm -hmm. a couple of years down the road, like, you know, the guy with the one big hit might not necessarily be the guy you want to like still buy his records, you know? Yeah. So just Absolutely. trying to take the slow route. Right. <laughs> so, and do you think about, um, does the the concept of selling out ever come up is it like is there stuff you know that would feel like a sellout to you that you just wouldn't do yeah there's definitely stuff i wouldn't do um give us what's an example i mean i hear it more in sound mm -hmm. you know if i was to do a track and then you mentioned skrillex earlier like do one of his typical dubstepy like glitched out bases mm -hmm. Uh, one, it doesn't fit me. Yeah. You know, not that I'm not interested in that sound and what that is, and especially from a technological standpoint, but um, not really like a genre or where, like an area that I want to touch on, mm -hmm. you know? Um, I don't know. It's hard to say until it's right in front of me. Uh, Have you been confronted with that? Not necessarily. I think, yeah. um, I think the people who have approached me for work and that listen, you know, to what I do. Uh, like yourself like I think you get like a pretty good idea of like what I do and mm -hmm. like what keeps me going and, and keeps me making music so it's yeah it's never really been I've never really had anything that's made me feel terribly uncomfortable at this point you know yeah. and um, it's like somebody like okay the first remix I had picked up with Giorgio Moroder and Kylie mm -hmm. Minogue well, here's two pop stars mega pop stars yeah. you know that people have known forever I mean it's it's hard to look at that as being like something that's selling out you know what i mean that's an amazing Absolutely. opportunity from two really great artists um and i got to make the music the way i wanted to so it's there's like a lot of variables to play into that yeah no i will not sell out <laughs> <laughs> i like what i do you know yeah. like in uh i think the bigger picture is like i like it like yeah. I i love making music and i like what i do and um having that like you know long-term love for it and wanting to continue to do it i think that kind of gives me a little bit of a filter of not putting out anything that's going to be superfluous or mm -hmm. trendy or poppy or quote unquote selling out you know? yeah so uh, a lot of guys in your business you know you reach a certain point of success I'll let you know when I get there Josh <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know a typical path right is then you create a label Mm -hmm. and you started working with other acts is that uh you think about that is that is that like your is that the long-term vision um, or is there a long-term vision yeah there's definitely a long-term vision what um is it? i mean a label sounds nice i'm just handling facebook and instagram it's a lot of work I, I don't know how these guys do it yeah. um it would be nice. It'd be very nice to do that to you. So if it's not that, I mean, it doesn't, you don't have to do what I say. But. No, no, no. I mean, you're right. I mean, that's kind of the standard model for, yeah. for what's going on in, in the house world. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I think it enables a lot of guys to really put out their own releases when yeah. they want to put them out, uh, not have to worry about anybody else's influence also taken. I mean, this is like, it's like a big family. So you're always going to know a couple guys are doing what you're doing too. Right. So there's always like other talent around. Um, yeah, I would like to at some point, but, um, I'm lucky enough at this point and it's exciting for me too. And it helps me network a lot more to be able to release uh, under other people's labels, mm -hmm. like the the Nervous EP that I put out uh, yeah. a couple weeks ago. I mean, that was super exciting to me. Like, here's this stalwart of the music scene. Sure. New York City through and through. Um, and again, I made that EP just, like, I just made whatever the hell I wanted to make for that one. And that, like, felt good to me. And so for them to pick that up was really, was really awesome. So I'm enjoying putting stuff out on other people's labels at this point, mm -hmm. especially being able to get to uh, their their fan base and the people that pay attention to them. I mean, that's that's been really helpful for me. Long term, I mean, if I could still be doing it like Todd in another 20 years, that'd be uh, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, uh, love to tour. I love to travel. So like, how do they get? I, there's obviously there's a lot of guys his age that are still doing that right mm -hmm. um you know from louie and kenny to yeah to junior uh sneak sneak yep. dan you yep. mentioned right so um how are those guys like are they receptive to you know a young cat kind of coming up in their ranks um are you getting is there any like resistance or people sort of questioning <laughs> no i've had nothing but love it's yeah. it's been really cool I remember talking to some people. Todd had me um, down to do um, a gig with him that he was hosting. It was him and Kenny Dope and Junior and uh, Al Technique and I mean, forgive me if I'm forgetting anybody, but it was it was a group of guys that I basically walked in the room, thought I had a wrong email, <laughs> but I showed up anyways. And I and you know Scribble was there and yeah. Um, Michael Moog and just like these guys I've known forever not known known mm -hmm. of forever yeah. so I walk into this room and um, I don't know what their perception was of me I mean you know I'm 34 I'm not I'm not 19 I'm not 21 like, right. I look like I'm 19 <laughs> I act like I'm 14 <laughs> but I walk into this room and um, you know it was definitely intimidating for me especially to be around all that talent and um I'm sure there was probably a little bit of a moment where like, okay, what's this kid do, you know? But, mm -hmm. again, everybody trusts Todd and loves Todd, and he does what he does so well that I don't think they, like, have some, like, weird right. trap EDM guy come in and, like, yeah. spin records with him. So, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know how it is from the outside uh, with anybody else, but everyone's been really receptive to me. And, like I said, I try to, like, let the sound speak a little bit more for me, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like represent myself from the music rather than like try to put on much of like a, a public image. Right. Because honestly, if people saw me, 
know this is radio land, but I look young. We got video. We got video. <laughs> I look young, you know, and and uh, yeah, you definitely don't look thirty-four. Yeah, it's cool. I love it. <laughs> uh, thanks, yoga. But um, yeah, no, it, it's it's really been nothing but love. Um, I think it actually pushes me to be a little bit truer to it because of that, you know, yeah. um, because I've had a lot of support and because I've been able to work with some amazing people. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it's motivating and it's like, it's, it's nice. Like the people that I know, you know, through Todd or, or through just the people I know in New York, like mm -hmm. it feels like a family and like everybody kind of knows each other and everybody's like really receptive. Everybody yeah. loves each other's tracks. Everybody go see each other play. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good feeling, man. I felt no resistance from anybody. Nice. It's good. Yeah. Nice. Well, a couple more questions. Um, you know, you talk about yoga. <laughs> so and to everybody all the time. <laughs> yeah. So do I, man. We, you know, we're, we're, uh, big believers in, in keeping the whole, you know, uh, you know, it, it, it's all got to fit together, right? The body and the mind and the spirit Balance. and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. Um, so, uh, what else, what else do you do? <laughs> I think I named all the things. Okay. <laughs> no, I, uh, this is my passion. So yeah. if left unchecked, I will sit and write music and record and DJ for days and days and days on it. So I basically like become a recluse shut in. Mm -hmm. People have to drag me out of my house. Um, I put an emphasis. I mean, I like being healthy. Like it's, it's a good life. It's good to be healthy. It feels good. Yeah. It never feels good. I'm into it. So, um, you know, I basically do a lot of yoga. Shout out to Heather Rems Corwin. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I basically, uh, I live a very simple life. You know, I go nice. see I go see DJ spin, get some inspiration, record, try to be healthy, try not to drink too much coffee. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's basically it. Yeah, it's a nice life for sure. Um, who's your favorite DJ? Good question. Um, let's go with producer. <laughs> well, Todd's my favorite DJ, hands down. Like live, out, yeah, out in the club, hands down. Okay, uh, he is so dialed in. Uh, I just watched a live feed of him in Brazil for Boiler Room the other day, and it's like, after after all these years, he's just in the zone, mm -hmm. like, just heavily focused on it. And you listen to his sets, and it's fun, and it's like, he's got like you could to me doing it as well. Like I could feel his control, like he just he's got it down. Like that guy don't need help. <laughs> yeah. Um, production wise. Um, yeah, I've been really, I mean, I'm always into this weird, dark UK, maybe not necessarily dark, but like warehousey feel. And, you know, over the last year, like A1 Baseline and uh, Leon Vina Hall, mm -hmm. and then their project together, um, Lazo Dance Hall. It's just like, it, it represents this weird side of me that I, you know, it's like kind of hard to put in words. And that you don't really hear coming out of the States a lot. Mm -hmm. It's like definitely to me, like a unique, like London, UK type of sound. And that uh that really influences me. But I'm like I'm really open to a lot of a lot of the subgenres and a lot of what's going on in the house world and try to bring it back and make it my own, you know. Yeah. Are you a reader? I am a reader. What do you read? Uh I just got the Alchemist from a good friend. Nice. Started reading through that. Uh a lot of Taoist stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, the book of Lao Tzu. Yeah. 
I Ching. Um, How'd you get turned on to that? I, I, I read a lot of Taoist stuff. Do you? Myself, yeah. Um, early 20s, spiritual awakening. I don't mean to like, you know, kind of muddle through that, but I think a lot of people get it. And um, yeah. I remember getting turned on to Buddhism and it seemed a little nihilistic for me at the time. Mm. Especially because I like things and I didn't want to accept like a... <laughs> you have to give everything away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, to to being younger... That part sucks. <laughs> yeah. Well, being younger and when you read that, it's a little scary. And then yeah. uh, I remember reading the Tao of Pooh, actually. Mm-hmm. I think it was one of the first Taoist readings I read. And, uh, yeah. And going with the flow and letting things happen and, you know, just like having a resistance-free life uh, seemed pretty attractive to me. I didn't put it into practice till years later, but yeah, it, uh, that means a lot to me, you know? And I, I think, uh, I don't really try to force anything with what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. And that, that's been a really good lesson. It's like, you know, I'm going to take all the opportunities I get and do them to the best of my abilities. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, kind of letting it go, man. Like letting me, like I said, letting the track speak for me and like yeah. letting the work come and letting the people hear it. And, uh, yeah, it's been good. I mean, it's how we met, you know, kind of going with the flow. And exactly. This has been nice. Right on. Well, thanks for being here, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank it's you. It's been good getting to know you. And come back anytime you want to promote something. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, I know it's not your thing, but where can folks find you on social? Oh, it's very much my thing. <laughs> um, you can find me at uh, facebook.com backslash Um same across all the socials, soundcloud.com, Ant LaRock, Instagram, Ant LaRock. Go check it out. You guys will be surprised. So, <laughs> All right. Thanks. Cool. Thanks, Jeff. And we out. That was Ant LaRock with a great interview. Hope you liked it. Send us a comment on Twitter at Rebel Radio Net or leave us a review on iTunes. And as always, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Later.